Sci-fi is 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 a debasement. Sci-fi uh, is 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 one of those horrific uh, uh, crotchets, as they call them. It's it's not even a real phrase. It diminishes anything. It's like it's like referring to to the feminist movement as fem lib, you know. And sci-fi is like all, I suppose all Spanish literature would then be spick thick, you know. And 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 all Jewish literature would be you know kike thick or something. This is this is all intended to diminish, and it makes it easy for people to dismiss it. When you are able to do that, when you're able to diminish something, you don't actively have to go after it. It has already becomes laughable. When people start thinking that Independence Day is science fiction, and they've never read a novel by A.E. Van Vogt, or they've never read a novel by Kate Wilhelm, then what we have is a bastardized form. When they read Star Trek novels, and they think this is writing, we, we lose... From the, from the pool of literature, we have an ever more increasingly illiterate population. And I think this sci-fi crap is what helps that along. It keeps people stupid. The core of science fiction as a thinking tool is the effects of technology on human beings. How will we be affected? How will our lives change? Live long and prosper. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 80. Miles, we are 8-0. I remember when we were 7-0. Didn't seem that long ago. It didn't seem that long ago. Um, but um, yeah, we're really um, we're really pumping these uh, shows out. Yeah, cranking them out. Hopefully we're not uh, just rushing through them and all that. But I think that we have some good quality shows, some good interviews that have come up, some that we still have to bring you. And mm-hmm. wow, that's an exciting time. And we have an exciting show tonight. I'm really looking forward to uh, this. It's going to be great. By the way, my name is Scott Herzog. If you are a new listener to the show, I'm not one of the co-hosts of the show. And and hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Yep, and uh, Miles is another co-host of the show, and we co-host the show. We're just hosting all over the place. And we are at the Sci-Fi Diner tonight where we are serving up all sorts of spicy conversations regarding the sci-fi world. And tonight we do have a spicy conversation, one that is sure to elicit debate. Mm-hmm. So we're excited about this. Wow, we have a bunch of guests on the show tonight. Who do it, we have? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Uh, we have uh, Keith DeCandido, um, a Star Trek novelist, and uh, also has written uh, comic books for uh, Farscape. For Farscape. Yeah. And uh, also uh, we have uh, John Frage from uh, Think Geek, uh, who we met last last time at uh, Shore Leave. Uh, we also have um, a good friend of ours, Chris Wood, who takes care of the uh, subspace comms uh, website he's the main writer and has also started podcasting himself i would encourage you to check out his podcast life after trek and uh n- another uh, first time who has been on our show uh darren benjamin he is a co-host of a uh, trek cast um, my favorite uh, uh trek uh, uh podcast and uh looking forward to talking to him and this really feels like a bunch of guys going to uh, a diner and geeking out over sci-fi yeah or maybe heading to the bar or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But it's a, hopefully we're going to have some good conversation about does 
science fiction needs science, or how mm. important is science and science fiction? So that's right. our discussion tonight. We asked you guys on Facebook, a lot of you gave your thoughts there, and we got some emails on it, and we're going to be sharing them tonight and chatting about them. So that's really where we're headed tonight, Miles. Right. It's going to be a good show. It definitely will. And that's really our menu. Our menu is to talk about, we're going to give you some trivia. We're mm-hmm. going to answer that trivia question that people have been waiting for. Who has won the Catherine Hicks photo? That's what we're going to be talking about. But we definitely are going to be talking about the role of science and science fiction. So by the way, if you're looking for the Sci-Fi 5 and 5, we it's on hiatus this week, as well as the twist. And we're just going to be talking about the importance of science and science fiction. Yep. So it's going to be good. Well, Miles, why don't you take us into the trivia? Okay. We asked what popular African-American comedian back in the 80s which was originally considered to play the cetacean biologist in Star Trek The Voyage Home. And the answer was? the Surprisingly, it was Eddie Murphy. Yes, who I believe turned it down, turned the role down. He was offered it and turned it, ra- turned it down, according to if my recollection is correct. Right. I mean, he had considered it. He's a Star Trek fan. And um, it just, for whatever reason, didn't work out. Um, and it's probably, it, it, I think it was probably a better decision not to have him in it. I think it, it would have been a different movie. Oh, it would have been. It would have been. And I think that Catherine Hicks just did a wonderful job. She, she did. And uh, who is our winner? Our winner is Andrea from Maple Valley, Washington. Yep. And so, and she won what? She won an autograph uh, picture of uh, uh, Miss Catherine Hicks. And, uh, and she's standing with uh, Shatner. William Shatner. So, Andrea, if you were at a sci-fi convention with uh, William Shatner, you know, another, maybe you could take that picture and have him autograph it, and that would be a nice, uh, uh, nice, nice thing for your uh, autograph collection. It absolutely will be. Well, Miles, thank you so much. We'll be bringing you new trivia next week. As always, uh, be listening to the Sci-Fi Diner, following us on Twitter at the Sci-Fi Diner, uh, and uh, we'll be posting that trivia and sharing it on our website and all those good places that you can mm-hmm. find our trivia. And we'll be sharing it. Thanks for everyone that played. We had a bunch of people write on this one. It was very cool. Well, we're we're about ready to start our show here and our conversation with all the people that we mentioned earlier. Before we do that, we want to take a small break here, and we're going to play a promo from our good friends at TrekCast. You know, see, it's like, hey, I still got a little Star Trek in me. I'm built up mid-24th century civilian clothing. Well, next time you see a guy that looks like Wolverine, poke me. Yeah. Oh, Highball and cocktail. Oh. Highball and cocktail. Oh, God. This is getting bad. You're listening to TrekCast, the Star Trek podcast. www.trekcast.com Listen to TrekCast. It'll save your virtual life. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Well, we have our full crew here, Miles. We're almost there. Keith hasn't joined us yet, but I think we have a great panel to talk about this question. This is a great question. This is our discussion on the role of science and science fiction segment of the show, or our discussion, I guess, one that we've been had going for quite some time on our mm-hmm. Facebook and so on. Well, let's go around and, and uh, introductions are warranted. Some of these people have been on the show, some haven't. John, why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit, introduce yourself to our listeners, or reintroduce yourself to our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. I am John Frazier, uh, also known as Frage from Think Geek. Um, I guess uh, my geek cred comes from uh, being a longtime Star Trek nerd. My dad uh, introduced me to Star Trek when I was about four. 
and um, and have been just sort of nerding out from that ever since. And now I uh, I work for ThinkGeek where I buy and sell uh, really really cool merchandise, uh, including a whole bunch of Star Trek gear. Uh, that you can buy at thinkgeek.com. Sorry for the plug. No, 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 no apologies needed. Plug That's away. Right. Plug away. Yeah, <laughs> plug away. Uh, we also have with us Darren Benjamin. Darren, welcome to the show. Hello. Tell us a little it's bit about. A pleasure. You. Yeah, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, my name's uh, Darren Benjamin. I uh, co-host Star Trek the, po- the Star Trek Cast and Star Trek Podcast, where we talk about all things Star Trek, including well, you, you guys probably know. It's yeah. so, uh, just, just about everything Star Trek under the sun. We ha- we like to have a good time, and we take a pretty uh, pretty uh, um, relaxed attitude towards it. Um, I also live in Las Vegas, so I worked at uh, Star Trek: The Experience for many years. So I have a have a pretty unique perspective when it comes to Star Trek, seeing as I worked it for ten years. And that's about it. That's about it. Great. Yeah. By the way, we uh, played your promo a little bit earlier in the show, so we love. Thanks. We love the Trek cast. And I can kick myself for never getting it, getting to the uh, experience. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. there's the tour still in in in, in place, and it's mm-hmm. similar, but it's not nearly as cool as as Star yeah. Trek: The Experience was. Yeah, North's fun. So <laughs> keep hoping they'll build a new one. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the hope. And with us as well is Chris Wood. Chris, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. My name is obviously Chris Wood. Um, But no, I actually run Subspace Communicate, which is a truck culture website. Uh, We cover everything from news, reviews. Uh, We do a lot of op-ed stuff. We actually just launched a brand new podcast called Life After Trek. Uh, it's kind of a podcast mini-series where we're going through and interviewing former Star Trek cast and crew. And we've had a pretty good run so far. Uh, we have another one coming up that's going to be featuring Chase Masterson. Uh, but so far, we've had Mono Inte Reme from uh, Voyager, who played Ichad. Larry Nimichek, who's just you know all-around awesome Star Trek guy. And uh, Jeffrey Combs, uh, which was a fantastic interview for us to do because he's such an amazing actor. But. Anyway, so that's it. Subspacecoms.com or lifeaftertrek.com. Very cool. Give me a second here. I just had my son just invaded the room here. And uh, at least we have the introductions here. All right, buddy. Do you want to say hi to everyone? Huh? Say hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is my hey. son, Kiefer. Hey, look. It's all the people. It is all the people we're talking to. Yeah, they're all from all over the country, buddy. Yeah, they're from literally across the United States. Hey, look, there's, there's two of you. There's two of me? Huh? No, no, that's two of John you see there. Can I see? Yeah, you're seeing that. He is a wonderful three-year-old and absolutely loves uh, R2-D2 right now. So that's his, nice. uh, yeah, that's his, uh, I'm working at I'm working it, I'm working it. Get him. So He's going to be, he'll be a lot of... Watch, watch a lot of Clone Wars. Clone also. Wars we do. Sometimes that's a bit violent, but we watch Clone Wars. We watch New Hope and uh, some of the original Trek we show him. So, you know, stuff that... He's raising him right. I, I'm working at it. Working <laughs> at it right. So, <laughs> all right. Well, so that's... So go ahead. I got to ask if he has if he has any of the um, Trek onesies that they sell on ThinkGeek. You know what? He does not. He does not. Oh, he's man. Not. I know. I, I failed. Well, he's probably too old for that now. He's three, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but... But he runs around with a lightsaber outside, so you know what, what is it? you know the collapsible ones. So, so <laughs> hey, we're working at it. But now he's he's a great, he really is a great kid. But he wanted to come and hang out in the podcast. So, which is totally cool. Maybe we'll get him into podcasting yet. Well, so that's our panel tonight, Miles. Mm-hmm. 
So excellent why don't we go ahead and leap into this? Mm-hmm. And uh, again, we'll bring in Keith when uh, Keith R. A. DeCandido will be uh, joining us, who's Star Trek author and has done stuff for Farscape, uh, Starcraft, World of Warcraft, every single thing on the Sunny Rights for it feels like. And uh, he'll be joining us a little bit later on, hopefully. But, well, the, the question on the table is how, and this is the general question, I guess, and we'll start here. How important is science in science fiction? Um, maybe the other way of putting it is, does science fiction need science? I, uh, I think I, I'll take a stab at it. Go ahead. I think, uh, I think with the science in science fiction isn't really necessarily all that important nowadays. As much as I, I like it and I think it's necessary, but you look at shows like Lost – that were that were a big success. That weren't really a science fiction show until a little bit later. But you know, early on in the series, it didn't really have anything to do with science fiction. And then later on, they started introducing it. At, you know, once they had the fan base. But uh, um, I prefer science in science fiction, though, personally. Well, for me, maybe I'm not smart enough to um, <laughs> to realize if something is an actual science fact or science fiction. Uh, now, it's it's pretty important, and it, it depends on uh, the type of science fiction you're talking about. I like a lot of the, uh, especially lately, I've been reading a lot of uh, Elizabethan and Edwardian science fiction, and a lot of H.G. Wells and Edgar Rice Burroughs and that kind of stuff. And, you know, some of it is based in science fact. Uh, most of it isn't. Uh, but for me, it's not super important unless it's just, I, let me rephrase that. It's more about the story for me than if it's science fact or science fiction. So, Yeah, well, I mean, like part of that, too, is stuff that has become kind of acceptable in science fiction, like um, you know, hyperdrives and and stuff like that, that has just become our you know you know you know FTL. All that stuff has been kind kind of commonplace, and so it really doesn't need any explanation, scientific explanation. We just kind of accept it. And it's almost taken on this whole uh, fantasy type base element that we just kind of accept it, and we don't need all the science in it that uh, really explains it. Maybe, and I would agree. I think that the story for me is maybe a bit stronger than. The story and the characters maybe are a bit more important to me than whether something is 100% scientifically accurate or plausible. Yeah, if it's more um, plausible and, like you said, accurate on a human level, on an emotional, uh, uh, like, personal relationship level between the characters, then then I really enjoy it. And, of course, if there's science fiction you know, thrown in there, it's even better. It, it makes it more palatable because I'm not going to read necessarily like a um, – like just a regular fiction story, like a romance story or something about, um, you know. Come on, I, fess I up, Chris. You, <laughs> fess up. That? We know. Fess up. We know you have your stack of Harlequin romances somewhere in there. Yeah, Harlequin. <laughs> I'm totally into the Harlequin romance stuff. It, it just makes oh, it more palatable for me. So yeah, very good. I can uh, I can relate to what uh, uh, what Chris is talking about. I mean, the thing is, science fiction. The science and science fiction helps relate stories to a modern audience. I mean, we, we talk about people today uh, in terms of, uh, of the technology, whether we have, I and mean, we all have phones or these iPhones and we all have these computers that can do these amazing things. But um, there is admittedly an audience that if we told them a classic, say um, a, a classic Japanese fable, they wouldn't be able to relate to it. I mean, I can give you a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Akira Kurosawa's movie Rashomon. Okay, I have not. Are you not familiar with it? It's basically a story of of, of an horrific crime as told from four different perspectives um, by the guy who who committed the crime, 
um, the uh, the woman that he uh, that he uh, raped and the the man that he murdered and a witness who saw it from uh, from an outside perspective. And it's kind of a dark tale, uh, one of those classic movies in the 40s. I think maybe it was like maybe 49 or 51. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, it's a classic story that you don't see much on TV. But Star Trek The Next Generation took that script and sort of reworked it into um, uh, the episode A Matter of Perspective. And it's almost the exact same story, but it's got sci-fi in it. And it helps that same story get told to a brand new audience who would have never appreciated it before. So so. In a sense, science and sci-fi uh, makes can make stories better if it's done right. Right, right. To, to uh, kind of uh, piggyback on it, I mean, Star Wars, I believe, was. I mean, George Lucas Lucas t- drew inspiration from a Japanese movie, a samurai movie, and 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 a lot of it. I don't, I don't remember the name of the, ja- the Japanese movie, but uh, he reached Fortress. Okay, thank yes, you. Yes, it was a hidden fortress. Thank right. you, and uh, took that and and made Star Wars, and so uh, re, you know brought that movie to you know another generation, uh, but just kind of you know packaged it differently. He also kind of repackaged the whole uh, legend and myth, the whole journey of a hero concept that kind of works its way through a lot of the historic legends that come through different cultures, and just kind of repackaged it into science fiction and shared it as well, and. You know, really brought that to a modern audience. So I guess maybe one of the one of the ways that science fiction does function, at least, is to kind of bring tales that maybe we would be inaccessible to us currently and makes it accessible again. Hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of mixed on that, but that's the way. It- yeah, I wish I wish there was uh, more hard science fiction on TV. You know, because like it seems to me like all they do nowadays is sprinkle a little bit of science fiction into a fantasy or a love story. And it's perfectly acceptable to most people. That's how you get the general audiences involved. And you make it a little more fun because you added some science fiction to it. But I really wish we had a, a hard science fiction show out there. But, you know, I think in the mainstream it probably wouldn't work nowadays. Do we, have, do we have anything that, uh, that's even remotely hard science? Uh, on TV right now? Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. There's nothing that's really hard uh, science is, fiction. Is, uh, is Fringe even close? I mean, Fringe is probably the closest to Caprica it. is more is more hard science. What Caprica? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think maybe of, of all the the current series, I think maybe uh, Caprica would be the the hardest of the science fiction genre oh. right now. Okay, yeah. So Just because of the whole the whole, but you look at it and they, and it deals that show deals with a lot of religious aspects, and it's not necessarily the science; it's more of the religious aspects of it, and how science kind of um, mixes in with religion. Right, which is kind of interesting because you don't often see that in a science fiction show. So that's kind of yeah. unique. Um, but yeah, and I, and I think probably on network television, probably Fringe is the closest that looks at science, probably the most scientifically based network show. That would be and it's fun. on Fox. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's still on. Yeah, and they didn't cancel yeah, exactly. it. <laughs> 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 Oh my! We're still bitter about Dollhouse and any and Firefly and so anything else. Did go ahead. Did you guys last summer? Um, did you see the uh, the miniseries Masters of Science Fiction? I think it was called. It was on ABC, and they actually did several uh, one hour uh, episodes that were written by you know well known science fiction authors. I think they you know did a Ray Bradbury and, and Isaac Asimov and a few others. 
I think did. that maybe the networks, yeah, they were they were trying to test that out to see if there was an audience for it. I don't know how well it did. I know I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really um, because liked it, it was it was true science fiction. So, um, but Frakes I don't know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh really? I, say, uh, oh, I had, I had no idea. Yeah, it was one of the one of the one of the episodes. I don't remember which which uh, uh, what the title was, but were, it was pretty good. I mean, it was a neat little anthology series they were trying to put together there. Yeah, all I remember was the episode about the small elephant. So that was one of them, wasn't it? There was one with the small elephant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I, I I don't recall catching the entire thing, but I did watch it, and I was interested because here we were having some of the. The um, forerunners are the, the the notables in science fiction writing and kind of bringing them to television and their stories and I thought that was kind of a really cool concept but it obviously didn't <laughs> didn't uh, bear fruit at least not as much as we see at this point. But I like the Ron Moore did that uh, that pilot for uh, Fox. What was that called? A virtual virtuality or something oh, like that? Oh yeah, what virtue? Yeah, it was. Um, that was a that that looked to be a hard like it was going to be a hard science fiction series. The one, the one this the one that's passed uh, spring, you know, it was, right? It wasn't virtuos. It wasn't virtuosity. It was um, virtuosity. Virtuosity, maybe something like that. that. Yeah, that was that was the movie with uh, Russell Crowe. Oh, you're right. No, that this it was. Um, I don't remember the name. Of it. I know exactly what we're talking about. And uh, yeah, uh, we we had tra- by me and me and Super Spock over at Trickcast. We really really liked that concept. It was pretty unique, but. You know, it was another holodeck kind of kind of show, and I, I imagine it was going to have a lot to do with what they're doing on Caprica as well. Yeah, that's right. Because you were dealing with yeah, that's very very right. And then IMDb reports the show is called Virtuality. There you go, Virtuality. I knew it was V. I knew there was a V in there somewhere. <laughs> so Something had virtual. to be had to be a V in there. But hey, I got one for you guys. The I think the hardest science fiction show on TV right now, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not, there's probably some truth to that. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a disadvantage here. I do not watch Big Bang Theory. Miles does, though. Yeah, I mean, well, I just started watching it, and I mean, they kind of had a robot, so to speak, um, and um, that robot hand. <laughs> so um, that's an actual that's an actual machine that they that they that they make for people to try to have a virtual presence that can't move around, can't move around. And that's an actual. I don't remember the guy that that designed that, but he let him use it for uh, the show. Oh, okay. So there, it, it was not just a, a, a goof. It was something. Yeah, sort. it's actually something that pe- this guy. I don't know the guy's name, but he's actually u- trying to make this for people that are immobile, so they can have a virtual presence outside the real world. That that that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, John, do you watch Big Bang Theory? Religiously, I uh-huh. love that show. Right. With that now, isn't it? Is that the show that has had some Think Geek products on it? Yeah, we sent them. Uh, actually, we, we regularly send them big piles of shirts and gadgets and toys. And in fact, um, I get emails from customers all the time asking me about, uh, you know, hey, did you do you know that thing that's on the end of the? Uh, there, there's a Rubik's cube tissue box that someone was asking me for. Can you guys find that? And I looked for it and I found it. And it turns out it was from an Etsy shop. So though, things like that I can't get, but you know, I do get phone calls all the time and emails all the time from people who see. Big Bang Theory and ask me if I can get stuff for them. Yeah. And, and Chris, do you watch Big Bang? Yeah, I've seen uh, several episodes. It, it, yeah, it, Sheldon kills me. The show is so funny. Yeah. I, I guess so I it's, the, it's the number one sitcom on TV right now, I think, besides uh, Two and a Half Men or something like that, or Two Men and a Baby or something like that. Mm. And it is deeply rooted in sci- <laughs> sci fi, I think, just because yeah. of the characters, is all. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, you know, so I guess maybe the other question that kind of stands off of this is, you know, we, we, we kind of mentioned hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi. I mean, a lot of the, I mean, we're talking about shows like Fringe or maybe Caprica as being more along the lines of hard sci-fi or as much hard sci-fi as we get in modern day here. Um, what are shows maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum that maybe are called sci-fi but really have a really light sci really have really light science in them? I'm trying to think, is there actually any like light sci-fi shows? I mean, man, um, I guess I guess the event, the event maybe is that light light yeah. sci-fi? No, I think that's going to be more along the lines of like. Well, I don't even. I've only watched the first episode, so wow. so um, I know it's going to have some deal, something to do with time travel and yeah. possibly aliens. But that's about it. What so about, I mean, what, that, yeah, that sounds pretty pretty hardcore sci-fi to me. What about what about uh, like shows like uh, Stargate and Sanctuary? Where do they fall into this whole debate about sci-fi? I think Sanctuary definitely is a fan, fantasy. You know, definitely fantasy. I mean, it does have some sci-fi aspect to it. Um, Stargate Universe. Currently, I think is a is an excellent sci-fi show. It's got a little bit of little bit of loss sprinkled into it because you know they have that long-running story. They don't know what the deal is. Of course, they're on the ship called Destiny, right? So you know, it's humanity's destiny or whatever. Right. right. I second that. I think I think Stargate Universe is probably the the best least watched sci-fi show on right now. Yeah, um, I agree. And you know, this since they've started it back up, I think it's just gotten better. I've enjoyed these past two episodes that we've had and. And uh, they're absolutely excellent episodes. Although the people on that show always do the wrong thing. I'm like, really? <laughs> you're serving in you're serving in the SGU, but you're always doing the wrong thing. I don't get it. Yeah. Or the SG SG uh, what is it? The SGC. Yeah, SGC. Yeah, yeah. It's true. But see, you know, they're away from their authority and command, and I don't know. I guess they have those those, those, those uh, communication stones, stones yeah. stones. But it's like uh, it's like a hard version of Voyager. Something the Voyager never never did. You know, they didn't take that aspect of Voyager and actually use it. But when they needed to write an episode, yeah, my wife called uh, Stargate Universe um, Battlestar Voyager. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, it's probably it's probably uh, it's probably a good name for it. It definitely has more of a. It definitely was more. I think the first part of it felt a little bit more soap opera ish than it does now. So, and I'm so I'm kind of glad they've gotten away from that a little bit. But. Mm Yeah, so what that's... I kind of dig about it was uh, how how Rush and Young sort of have swapped roles as being the heavy uh, authority figure on the show. Because in the in the first season, uh, Colonel Young was sort of the um, the hothead um, man in charge who didn't deserve to be, and Rush was the uh, was the intellect who who was making all the right decisions, but no one was listening to him. And now it's kind of gone the other way. Uh, Young is now the guy who's uh, who's trying to keep it all together, and Rush is just going off on his own and, you know, damn the consequences. It's, it's fantastic how they sort of swap roles like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I could do a whole show just on Stargate SGU. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> what well, is, it's, it's, it's real well done. Go ahead. I get, I get off work from graveyard and, and, uh, and, uh, even if it's, even if I'm tired, I'll still watch it just cause, uh, I can't wait till the new episodes come out. Yeah. It's very well done. Would something like Smallville might be light sci-fi. I mean, I know it's just kind of a, Kind of a different. I mean, it's a superhero genre. Yeah, where does superhero genre? Where does superhero genre fit into? I don't know. I think, uh, superheroes are more like. Uh, um, it's not. I don't think superheroes are really sci-fi in a sense that they are just an extension of us. Kind of like uh, you know, like 
the Nietzsche Superman, you know, how it's, he's just just us, but like Uber us, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think maybe the other the other aspect of it, they do kind of sometimes try to explain um, how some of these superheroes got their powers, and they do that scientifically, and so maybe there's a little bit of science in those superheroes. Um, you know. What What about Ghost Hunters? Now, Ghost Hunters to me could be like light sci-fi because they use a lot of like a lot of technical jargon, and they use a lot of equipment that uh, most normal people wouldn't use, and. I think that may be kind of like sci-fi light, kind of. What yeah. do you think, guys? Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I don't know, Chris. What do you think of that? Yeah, it kind of it kind of goes along the same lines as uh, uh, criminal science. Um, some of that could be considered science fiction too. I know that I've been reading a lot of the uh, Sherlock Holmes series, um, and you know, really, you could consider that science fiction because a lot of science is being used and it's fiction. So, kind of falls along the same lines. Also, there's uh, space opera, which is another version of light sci-fi, and I would almost consider Battlestar, the new version of Battlestar, space opera, uh, more than science fiction. And you know, other shows like Firefly could even fall in, into that, being space opera. So, yeah, yeah, they were less about sci-fi and more about the um, about the people, like you said earlier, and they use science fiction as a backdrop and not necessarily, you know, as a reason for the show. Science fiction, science fiction being. Um, in, in a lot of people's minds, is really cemented within the realms of space, uh, whereas science fiction could be anything, time travel, um, anything that uses science in a fictitious form uh, could be considered science fiction. But you, like the modern mindset, our society now always equates science fiction for the most part with some kind of space travel. So That was very true. Well, I look at uh, Avatar. Avatar is a... Uh, uh classic good versus evil to- story told in space it had really nothing to do with with science fiction i don't think you just kind of you added some blue people and some crazy looking critters and some spaceships and some big explosions but oh, you it, mean james cameron's pocahontas <laughs> right yeah <laughs> or or i like to call it princess of mars but or, or john carter from mars same thing just to use it on pandora rather than mars right you do have those floating islands i guess that's kind of scientific yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks science. Looks sciencey. Looks splashy. Right, right. But right. you know, is, do you think that's good or bad for science fiction? Because because uh, uh, they just use these backdrops as and say it's science fiction, but it's really, really. I mean, story wise, it's not. I don't know, but you know, they did put a lot of work into the designs and stuff like that for the show. So you know, including, and I'm not just saying the aliens, but you know, a lot of the um, a lot of the science, a lot of the ships and stuff they used. You know, I when I look at when I look at uh, movies like that, and I walk away saying, "Okay, what is the purpose of science fiction?" Um, many times, a good sci-fi story will leave me thinking, <laughs> will leave me um, walking away with a little bit challenged, maybe intellectually. I mean, this is what was best in Star Trek. Who wasn't? Star Trek was not always the most uh, deep as far as. Um, as far as the technology goes, or even maybe the science, but they, but some of those shows just really challenged the ethical part of you, and and and, and the morale and the, and the moral part of you. And and you, when you look at shows like movies like Avatar, where they, you know, again, the story has been retold about, you know, you know, dealing with natives, dealing with protecting nature, and all that. That's certainly been overdone, but. Shows like that do number one, they entertain, and number two, they do kind of challenge 
maybe the status quo. And I may, in, and if I walk away with that, then I say, well, I'm enjoying the sci-fi, whether it's good or not. Um, I was going to say about Firefly. I mean, I, I agree. It was more of science fiction was the backdrop. It was, it was mostly a character driven show. Um, but Firefly was one of the first, uh, shows where they had silent explosions in space, which would be a lot more accurate. Um, I think, and, and when the ship was flying around, it was it was silent. You didn't hear the engines, uh, or whatever. But um, so I, it was kind of cool they did that. I thought um, I don't. It didn't. I don't think it necessarily added or took away from what they were doing. But it was, you know, mo- most sci-fi shows in space, you're going to hear sound effects um, in space, just to kind of it, it sort of enhances the drama and everything like that. Oh, yeah, we love our explosions. We right? love our explosions. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, that Firefly also. Now that you bring that up, the ships actually maneuvered as if they were in space. It wasn't like a, a dogfight in space, and they kind of did that with Battlestar uh, too. Uh, you know, taking advantage of the zero gravity and the vacuum of space uh, within the the battles. Um, but yeah, I I actually didn't even realize that they didn't show or, or feature explosions in space. You saw them, but you didn't hear them. Now that I, now you say that, I actually remember that, and it kind of enhances the show for me. Well, now, are there any uh, TV shows or maybe movies that maybe there are some moments that you can think of that really handled – we mentioned Firefly as handling the silence of space particularly well. Any other shows or any of maybe moments and shows that you thought, man, this is some really good – this is a really good moment for the science, maybe in science fiction. Well, there was that one moment at the very beginning of Star Trek Eleven when uh, some unknown ensign gets sucked out into space to absolute silence. Mm. Yes. But of course, they they immediately go right back to you know pew 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 in uh, right in the in the vacuum of space. So you know, for a moment, it, it's a nice dramatic mo- uh, event, but uh, they weren't consistent. And you know that 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 brings up something that I I wanted to discuss during in this panel, and I, I hope you don't mind me absolutely. It for a go ahead. You know. The thing about science and science fiction is it doesn't always have to be um, accurate science. You know, it doesn't. I mean, obviously, we're flying faster than light all the time, and that can't happen. But if if you're going to be inaccurate, you need to be consistently inaccurate. It, consistency is absolutely like critical that. if you're going to sell si- the science and science fiction. You can't just change how warp drive works partway through the show and have the audience continue to follow you, or at least you know the hardcore audience. I mean the Maybe uh, you know Joe Blow is going to say, "Yeah, whatever." They got from point A to point B in, in warp eleven. That's great, but you know, it, it, warp yeah, warp speed bad, is a perfect example. <laughs> warp eleven, yeah. But in um, in Star Trek, you know, they they could not surpass warp ten, and when when they stuck to that speed, everything anything that involved Star uh, Star Trek and warp drive was fine. But that stupid Voyager episode. Where they went past warp ten and devolved into lizards, uh, I, I pretty much turned it off at that point. You know, there's a contract you have with your audience that you're going to be true to the science you create, and if you're not, your 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 story is going to suffer, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, nobody likes a science fiction flip flopper. That's for sure. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> my boss, by the way, John, my boss had that lizard in his office for for years. I used to get creeped out every time I saw it. Fantastic. <laughs> is, that, is that Janeway or is that Paris? Ooh. <laughs> oh man, I remember that episode. <laughs> yeah, but I, I agree. I agree with you, John. Uh, um, yeah, like I said, science fiction flip floppers. You know, dramatic, dramatic uh, license. You know, yeah. You know what? As a as a director, I'm sure 
you're look you're always looking for something to stun your audience, and I think it worked in Star Trek Eleven pretty well. But uh, I can't imagine, you know, just just you know changing your science right in the middle of a movie. It does it does take you know certain people out of out of the moment, and I, I kind of agree with you. I, although I think it really did work pretty well in Star Trek Eleven, though. I'm going to give JJ a pass on that one. Yeah, you know the other the other thing that maybe uh, you know bears mentioning here is that there are certain things that as writers and uh, that you expect when when you watch a television show in space, there are certain things you come to expect, like faster than light travel. However, it's talked about in whatever show, there are certain expectations, and you kind of as a writer or as a show really have to stay within those confines. I think for it to be accepted, you can't go, you can't get too bizarre in the way you have people travel from one, one location to the next. One thing um, I didn't care for in, in uh, Star Trek Nemesis, the um, love the transporters. You know, yeah, the science, you know, whatever. Uh, but the um, you'll remember the emergency transport unit, this little thing that was about the size of a you know of a quarter that Data had, and somehow you know that really you know that stretched the beyonds the the, the bounds of disbelief there. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I it, it asked up the audience to 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 believe that. Transport. No, I think you're. I, I think you're right. I think you're right there, and I mean, that goes right along the lines of kind of breaking the contract with your audience. Mm-hmm. But it's there's also a problem <coughs> with going in that direction as well. When you start making technology that has been established on your show so much better and so much more amazing, I mean, look at look at Voyager again. They advanced warp drive significantly. They advanced weaponry and shielding so significantly that um, who knows what the next Star Trek would have to be even more ridiculous to make it believable. So. So Paramount decided, no, we're just going to go backwards now. We're going to like take technology out of the story and go back to Enterprise, and that was abysmal. Uh, by by trying too hard to remove technology from Star Trek, they actually made it worse. Right, and yet to go back until to the, and, until the fourth season, though that, that is, and then it was very good. Yeah, yeah. that's just me, though. <laughs> no, I, I think the fourth. I, I agree with you. The fourth, the fourth season of Enterprise was was the best. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, but then, and that makes sense. Then they go back to you know, in a sense, the original series era of ship and crew for the newest movie, and uh, we're okay with that. You know, we don't go too far back. Maybe hmm. now it's a little bit more modern looking with J.J. Abrams updating everything. But yeah, well, I don't know. Nothing. Star Trek Eleven. I thought did good was now they're taking contemporary theories of time travel. Um, and adapt and and made made it, made it possible that they were not going to they were going to preserve the original universe. Um, it's still going to be a time travel story, but it's going to be an alternate universe created or going to an alternate universe in this, um, and and then 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 continuing the story from there. Um, but it's 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 interesting that even theories of time travel have changed over the years, but and. and uh, the writers of, of, of Star Trek Eleven uh, took advantage of that and uh, still, you know, still preserved the original series, which uh, original un- Star Trek universe, which we all know and love. But at the same time, it will take something. I don't want to say create a new sandbox, but almost, but that's what they almost did. And, and, and now they can take the, take take Star Trek in a totally whatever direction it, it, it evolves to. Yeah, yeah, that was the only way that it was palatable for me um, was for them to do an alternate timeline. Um, and I wasn't sold on Star Trek Eleven. 
until I read Countdown, which con- connected uh, the Next Generation era with Star Trek Eleven. So uh, it was important for me as a fan uh, for them to do that and retain everything that I already know about the Star Trek universe. So until Chris, they tied I'm totally in, with you on that. Until they tied in Voyager with uh, with uh, uh, or Voyager with Nero in the Nero miniseries. I was like, what the heck are you guys doing? (laughs) 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 But I love, I love countdown. I thought countdown was fantastic lead in. Yeah. Well, we have some, uh, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say that the, the future of science fiction, I think looks pretty, pretty, pretty bright. I mean, they've got the new shows in development, like, uh, um, Terra Nova. Spielberg is going to be, uh, ex- executive producing with uh, Brandon Brega. I know everybody cringes when you say his name, but but uh, I think the fu- the future looks bright for science science fiction. Um, there's a, oh, also there's what uh, I mean the current series Doctor Who in the yeah. UK is fantastic. Yeah, and uh, you know that that I think do you think you guys think that Doctor Who is hard science fiction or is it more fantasy? Yeah, Darren. I was going to ask you if you uh, if you thought uh, Doctor Who was considered more soft sci-fi, or at least you know fell into that genre. Yeah, I think uh, Doctor Who can be both. You know, I think it can. I think it walks the line because uh, um, just because of the nature of the Doctor. You know, the fact that he's a time traveler, and the, you know the way he comes across. I think so it when, depends when, on the when episode. It, when, yeah, it depends on the episode. And when necessary, it's it's hard science fiction. Like uh, Waters of Mars, I thought that was a, that was that's pretty hard science fiction. Right. Um, but then you have episodes like uh, um, what was the, the Weeping Angels one? Uh, what was the first one they did with that? Oh yeah. That's not. That's very fantasy based. Right. Was that Blink? Blink. Yes. 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 Although Blink. it did have the time the time paradox the the wibbly wobbly time paradoxal kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, uh. which is more fantastic. Oh, I, love uh, I think Ron Moore is also working on a new uh, science fiction series for uh, for Fox as well. I believe. Well, I heard rumors of that. Everybody knows that won't go anywhere because it's Ron Moore and right. Fox, so <laughs> right, right. They'll cancel it after the pilot, but <laughs> or something like that. He'd have better luck on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he he's done some good stuff there. All right, let me go ahead and play. Um, I'm going to play just the feedback that Mary. The Televixen sent from DVD Geeks, and then we'll respond to it. And then John Champion, also from DVD Geeks, kind of responded. Hello, diners. I'm Mary, the Televixen from DVD Geeks, where we're real fans with real opinions. And when I'm not reviewing DVDs, I'm watching sci-fi on TV and science fiction movies. And, you know, we're at a really critical stage right now. The United States has dropped from 1st to 18th place in high school graduation rates among developed nations, according to a Huffington Post article that recently came out. Furthermore, we've gone from 1st to 29th in the field of science. This is really, really sad when you consider that a lot of the shows in the past, like Star Trek, inspired a whole generation to get into being astronauts and scientists, and I think we really need to inspire our youth by showing real science. And, you know, shows like Sci-Fi Science on the Science Channel are a stepping stone in the right direction. Michio Kaku talks about how we can do these things in real life um, that you see in TV, or maybe if you can't, he'll he'll tell you how. So um, there's a really funny video on funnierdie.com that uh, is exactly what we're talking about. It's the science fiction with real science. So if education is lacking, we have to reach out to kids, and we owe it to ourselves to be accurate in our science fiction, whether it's in TV, movies, or on the Internet. 
And so I vote for way more science in science fiction. What do you guys uh, think of what Televixen was saying there regarding science and science fiction? Well, if I if I may, I think uh, that was very well well put together, very well thought out. What she had to say, um, and I agree a hundred percent. Unfortunately, uh, the politics of of um, United States, you know, that's that's the one thing that gets in the way, and our our division as a nation right now. And I don't want to get into politics, but that's pretty much it. It's we're divided as a country right now. And that's going to keep us from moving forward. I think one important point uh, that, that needs to be made is um, I think science fiction is suffering from its own success with regards to inspiring our youth. I mean, I think there's really well, there's one, maybe two decent sci-fi shows on in the mid-80s when I was growing up. Um, Star Trek The Next Generation being obviously the first one that jumps out. There's probably a you know a generation of astronauts that have grown from from Star Trek the original series certainly in Star Trek the Next Generation uh, because that was the only thing that was on it was insp- it was inspirational people just flocked to it and just sucked up as much as they possibly could but now that that science fiction is is so prevalent there are so many shows on as a whole you know TV network on it's kind of gotten dumbed down. I mean, you only have to look at um, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus <laughs> to know that science fiction is sort of suffering right now, and it's not inspiring nearly as many people despite its um, its market penetration, for lack of a better term. Mm. I, you know, I, I'm, I teach school as my day job as I'm an English teacher, and one of the things I do see students coming through that they're finding inspiration is a lot of these cop uh, and uh, uh, crime drama shows are, ins- are are inspiring a lot of my students to like pursue forensics, we, we, but we don't see that same sort of thing happening in the science fiction world that we once maybe did. One thing um, you mentioned, Star Trek: Next Generation, John. Uh, I was just thinking, we don't have a. Sh- I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think we have a show at the moment that's really inspiring. You know, people to become astronauts, engineers, or make devices that. Uh, kind of I mean, really enhance our lives. I'm just thinking, you know, we do have hypersprays right now. Um, things with with the communicators and the, uh, the pads have inspired, you know, cell phones and iPads and uh, other like devices. Well, some may say they either enhanced or make our life more complicated. Uh, there's a, that's a separate argument. But right now there, there isn't anything right now to inspire that I can see us to go to, to – to go greater than what we are right now. Yeah, you know, it, it's true that there isn't anything, at least not in any kind of uh, amount, that's inspiring to kids. But we live in an amazing time. You know, people, uh, younger generations can be, still be inspired uh, by Star Trek, the original series, and the next generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, just because information is so readily available. I mean, now a kid can, um, you know, stream a lot of Star Trek stuff online. You can get it from Netflix. It's it's all very readily available where it wasn't, you know, when we were kids. You go down to the local video store uh, and and pick up Star Trek: The Next Generation or something like it. Um, but it wasn't you didn't have access to as much information as you do now. So hopefully, the whole point of my what I'm saying here is hopefully um, Star Trek is still inspiring and still uh, obviously still creating fans, which it is. But hopefully, it's still inspiring uh, a younger generation. Yeah, I guess I guess to kind of play devil's advocate, it's also that sort of technology is also giving us an information glut of you know not just Star Trek stream, but every single good and bad show is available to stream, and being able to distinguish between the two is not always uh, something that the youngest generation is maybe the best at. But 
Yeah, and and unfortunately, Shades of Grey is still available. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That yeah. was a great episode. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that, that episode probably killed the 80s um, canned sitcom show. You know, like every Christmas episode they did would be like the Flash It Back episode. And I think Shades of Grey probably killed that for everybody. They're like, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah, yeah, the clip show. Yeah, it killed a little bit of me too inside. <laughs> uh, well, let me let me play a little bit. Uh, let's hear what John Champion has to say about this whole idea of science and science fiction. Hello, Sci-Fi Diner. It's John from DVD Geeks. Thanks for having me on to talk about science and science fiction. So, how much science do I really like in my sci-fi? Well, I guess the answer would have to be just enough. There needs to be enough to ground the story, but ultimately we still have to relate to the characters. And that could mean one thing for one show or one movie and something entirely different for another show or another movie. Uh, I guess what's really more important to me is that the story itself stays internally consistent. Now, as a Star Trek fan, and I know Star Trek fans, we love to nitpick it to death. And uh, I'm thinking automatically off the top of my head of a couple of great examples. Now, Scotty inventing transparent aluminum in Star Trek IV totally worked for the story, and it totally fit his character, and it seems totally plausible. I mean, we're kind of approaching that where we can almost create transparent metals and really interesting alloys if you check out the science over the last few years. Then Scotty inventing transwarp beaming in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek from 2009, well, as a storytelling device, it was kind of a nice tip of the hat that it's the same old Scotty from Star Trek IV, who can just pull something completely crazy out of the air and make it seem plausible. Now, that was a much, much bigger scientific leap, and I still know people have a big problem with it, but to me, it was consistent with the character, and if I have to suspend my disbelief a little more about transport beaming than I did have to about transparent aluminum, well, so be it. But, you know, if we're going to have that argument, we could just as easily have arguments about how every single aspect of Star Trek's vision of space travel is complete fiction and can never happen. Well, I would never be that person, though. As most of us know, Stephen Hawking was the one who famously visited the set of the Enterprise engine room, and upon seeing the warp core quipped, I'm working on that. So you never know what the future holds. Um, you know, going back to the thing about internal consistency, uh, I recently watched the movie Star Crash that we reviewed on DVD Geeks. Now, it's campy, it's over the top, it's silly, it's funny, and you kind of uh, just take it with a grain of salt when the lead character is floating around in space in a spandex outfit and not much more, or when you have plate glass windows on a spaceship being broken. The thing that really bothered me about a movie like that, though, is that uh, when they find themselves in a corner in the story, they just sort of pull some magic thing out of the air. Oh, by the way, you didn't know that I had this kind of power. And then suddenly that saves the day. Kind of goes back to the Scotty thing about inventing transwarp beaming. But again, I swallowed that better just because it seemed like a more consistent character thing and not just deus ex machina. Um, but I think the most important thing is that there are great shows out there in sci-fi 
that can spark our scientific curiosity for real. And, um, you know, as Mary, our televixen, mentioned, Michio Kaku's Sci-Fi Science on the Science Channel is a great example of that, where you've got uh, sci-fi fans inspiring him to go look into the real world to see how science fiction devices could occur and uh, what we may have to look forward to in the future. Now, his show isn't on DVD yet, but a show that is on DVD that I encourage everybody to pick up is the ever-popular Cosmos. Uh, it was Carl Sagan's masterpiece on PBS, and it has a, a wonderful DVD treatment uh, made about 10 years ago where they replaced some of the graphics and did some new special features, including introductions by his widow, Andrewian. Um, he was a brilliant intellect. Uh, but Sagan also had the flair of poetry and storytelling, which allowed him to speculate with the best of sci-fi writers. Um, definitely apparent in uh, his book Contact, which was then made into a movie starring Jodie Foster. So uh, from one extreme to another, Star Crash, <laughs> going into Star Trek, and then the great work of uh, the late Dr. Carl Sagan that kind of uh, runs the gamut of science fiction and science and um, I'm just glad that uh, science fiction out there can inspire people to go look at the real science. I think that's the most valuable thing that we can do as storytellers. If at first you want to make an apple pie, you must first create the universe. Nah. I love that. That inspires me. That has inspired me since I was a kid from Cosmos. Yeah, I never saw Cosmos. Oh, dude. It's on uh, Netflix right now, or uh, Hulu, I believe. You can watch it on Hulu. Okay, and it uh, and you can stream it. Then I guess. Yeah, and I believe it's on Netflix as well. If you have Netflix, I do. I will have to check it out. I actually have seen it. I, I have seen it. I uh, or seen clips of it. I just haven't ever watched it. Sat down and watched it. Yeah, uh, it's it's a fantastic show. And yeah. if uh, I mean, I I think that should be it for any sci-fi fan. That should be uh, you should watch that. And if you haven't watched it, boo on you. <laughs> yeah. Well. <clears throat> on me then i guess i will have to, I, I will have to go back and watch it but you know john was saying something that i, I believe john you said earlier uh, about internal consistency or someone said who, who was talking about that earlier but he kind of mentioned that it's more important that you're internally consistent than that you're and you're really scientifically maybe accurate yeah i think so i think you need to be true to uh to the technology that you use and and if you shift it the audience notices and i can think of a perfect example um, has anybody seen, and you know, forgive me, I'm going to make you all grown now, Highlander 2? I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, not, you know, okay. Consider yourself. <laughs> Highlander was a perfect movie. They left it, they should have just left it alone. Um, Highlander 2, uh, they sort of retconned it. Uh, uh, they retconned uh, the death of several characters and British brought them back uh, because they could. Um, and there, then, can uh, be only, there can be only 15 or 16. <laughs> We're not sure. There can be only one, but we're going to reset, hit the reset button. Yeah. Um, but they brought Sean Connery's character back, and uh, they had to go through this ridiculous uh, sort of uh, array of, of, of uh, obstacles to get to the big bad guy at the end of the movie. And um, Sean Connery was, you know, in perfect health and, and kicking ass and, and cutting off heads of bad guys. And then all of a sudden he was faced with a pyramid that he had to stop with his hand. And or this sort of this sort of descending object that was going to block his way, and he, and he and he said, "Oh yeah, one more thing. You can focus all of your all of your existence into this one point and, and stop anything." Oh, you you can really? Oh, you never talked about that before ever. 
and now you're just going to completely pull this out of your butt and try to make <laughs> us believe it? No, it just doesn't work that way. You can't just bring this, you can't just, like, like, uh, like John was saying, you can't just, uh, oh, I have this gadget here, and, and it saves the day. Hooray. You just can't do that. Do you think that was more prevalent in maybe, uh, um, I don't know, 70s sci-fi than maybe you see that today? I mean, do you, I don't think audience would buy that today maybe as much as maybe they would. I don't think audiences have been any more, have gotten any more sophisticated, but I think that studio execs have gotten a little more, um, well, I think they were a little uh, louder and brasher and said, nah, no one's going to care about that. Just throw it in there. Just finish the damn story, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, it's true. It, it, it isn't that audiences have gotten um, smarter. It is that storytelling's gotten better. Um, but as far as what John Champion said, I totally agree. I mean, you know, it is about consistency for me. And, you know, we've covered that in, in great detail here. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just, it, that really is what it boils down to. I mean, I've watched Highlander 2 being a good example. I've watched movies and just went, this is so stupid, and just turned it off because, you know, they've completely ruined something for me, an experience I was having. So, yeah, I mean, consistency is, is, you know, besides it being a good story and it being something that I can connect to on an emotional or intellectual level, consistency is right up there with those two things. Well, here's just a few other thoughts from some of our other listeners that have kind of shared with us, and so I'll just read them all, and then we can just kind of respond to them, and then we'll, uh, then we'll work at wrapping up the show here. Radu said, I don't think it's important at all regarding science. I don't mind a real bit of real science if it complicates the story nicely. But on the other hand, I wouldn't want writers to be held back by it either. As long as it's fun and interesting, it, it really doesn't matter to me what the category people label it with sci sci-fi sci-fi fee or fifi and then uh mike he said it's not essential and i think that the genre can easily fall into two camps without detriment to either i guess the harder sci-fi having a grounding in real world tech but logically evolved compared to the more fantastical that gives total freedom to a story uh, tim d said it's essential if science isn't central it's not sci-fi it's just fiction with a little science thrown in you want uh, you want uh, flexibility, write fantasy, but don't call it sci-fi. Two different animals. Um, and B. Harden said, I feel that it needs to start with some seed of science, however small. Whatever plant grows out of it is up to the author and the writers. And then Chelsea said, it makes sense to have science in science fiction, even if it's a little bit. makes it seem more possible. So those are some of the thoughts of some of our listeners. Uh, any any of those you want to comment on? Yeah, actually, I wanted to say something. For me, it's it's kind of interesting how... Science fiction is one of the only genres um, where, over time, the science or, or sorry, the fiction portion portion of it can become science fact. Right. You know what I mean? Like something from the original series or the Next Generation or any other show. Obviously, I'm focusing on Star Trek because I'm a giant Trek fan. Um, but over time, it 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 comes out of the realm of being fantastic and be and it becomes more realistic. So this is one of the few genres that can do that, or the only genre that can do that. I, I'd like to add uh, one one other thing. Um, this this whole con- this whole uh, conversation we've had. Um, there's a so there's a show that was on Sci Fi Channel a while ago. It was called Sci Fi Vortex, and uh, there was an episode with uh, um, Harlan Ellison, Herb Solo, and uh, Michael Straczynski. And it talks about it. Kind of talks about this topic. It's about whether science fiction is really science fiction or if it's just it's fiction. And I think everybody should check that out. I actually I sent you a link. So yeah, I will. Uh, I will, and I will, and I will post that in the show notes as well. Thanks for sending that. Yeah, it, yeah, it's an interesting debate, and I think everybody should check that out as well. 
There's uh, not much love for Gene Roddenberry in there and his storytelling. That's for sure. No. So, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if you have a weak stomach, don't don't uh, watch it. Don't watch it. Yeah, that, <laughs> the guy. That guy is. Hard yeah, I scientist. actually saw. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I saw a, an interview uh, on the Tomorrow Show with uh, Tom uh, Snyder from like '77. It was uh, uh, DeForest Kelly, Walter Koenig. Um, uh, James Doohan and Harlan Ellison, and uh, they they had conversations about science fiction, uh, and it actually looked like uh, Jimmy Doohan was going to take him out of the woodshed a couple times. It was pretty good. You can yeah, find that on YouTube, that by the way. That's a great episode. Well, if you if you can send me the link to that, I'll post that in the show notes too. That's great. I, I did think that one of the things that Radu said earlier on that he said, you know, he doesn't care if there's science. Uh, fact in it, but he doesn't want that to kind of trip up the writer and have them be so focused on that that they lose sight of the story. And I think there's probably some truth in that. You don't want to get so hung up on the is this scientifically accurate uh, and have it hinder just really good storytelling and character development. Yeah, I think uh, one thing I like about Star Trek, and this is something I've been a Star Trek fan since as long as I remember. may not have been the first, but it's the one I remember most is um, there's a lot of obstacles about interstellar space travel and so they invented this concept of warp drive um we're very far from inventing it if we ever do invent it but it it they said okay to make this possible for us to go from point a to point b we have to have something that can you know move us along so i like what star trek did to 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 get get over that obstacle um and they said you know their budget didn't allow for them to launch a shuttle to a planet so they came with the idea of the transporter. Um, again, maybe something that's we may or may not ever see in our lifetime or ever, but they're very good about you know the the idea of helping you to suspend your disbelief, so so you can just 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 go with it, go go with it, and j- enjoy the ride. Yeah, well, I can tell you that um, science fiction has always inspired me. It actually um, has anybody seen the movie uh, Real Genius with Val Kilmer? That actually made oh, yeah. me, that, that movie made me a, uh, a physics major because I was so fascinated with the idea of, of, of the science in the lasers that they were developing that I actually researched it in, in high school and realized that they were actually they were actually speaking decent science. It was actually really quite real. The the diagrams that Bell Kimmel was drawing up on the whiteboard, those were real diagrams. They were actual wave states that he was coupling to a, to a ground state. And I was really in just I, I really wanted to be a a physics major, a particle physics major uh, in, in college. It didn't work out. I ended up being in computer science at the end, but still, uh, I think it's I think it's really important for science fiction to inspire people to to, to try to um, to try to get into science uh, and 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 try to bring some of the technology that they've seen on the big screen and on the little screen and in their books uh, to reality. You know, I um, I've always been inspired by science fiction, mainly Star Trek. The first thing I remember. Being exposed to science fiction uh, was seeing Star Trek the motion picture uh, on a family vacation in Galveston, Galveston, Texas, uh, and from then on, I, you know, obviously didn't end up in a science career. Um, maybe a little, uh, you know, because I deal a lot with user interface design and, and some computer science type stuff. Uh, but yeah, science fiction is is very important. And and not you know whether or not there's science in it you know kind of the topic we're talking about but science fiction as a whole is a really really large device that can be used to inspire young minds so science fiction as a whole is extremely important now whether or not it has real science you know that's what we've been deba- debating tonight uh, yeah. 
but yeah, science fiction just it's one of the things that like you know everyone else has said here tonight has inspired them uh, throughout their lives to do what they've done, even if it's not science related. You know, everybody out there should should strive to create their own stories and create their own ideas and and uh, as much as I love things like Star Trek and Star Wars and all that, I think that people should use their their uh, their their fantastic brains and get out there and create and be be spontaneous. You know, I think that uh, um, I think with all all the technology we have surrounding us nowadays, uh, it's hard for for me now to imagine what the future holds because I think right now it's an amazing time to be alive with everything going on with computers and and just technology in general. But I think we really need to look outside the proverbial box. Or uh, I think Gene Roddenberry had his his uh, his his box that he used for his storytelling. But you need to look outside of that and uh, and uh, create your own tales and and uh, live life to the fullest. I agree with you guys. What you just said. I think nothing science fiction does well is maybe take some of our old stories, our old myths, and uh, things we've already talked about, and kind of uh, repackage them, and we can kind of rediscover them in a new way. And uh, maybe, maybe we wouldn't have maybe checked it out before because it's it may takes place in a genre we may not necessarily enjoy as much but if we but when they repackage it as a sci-fi story format it it gives us you know exposes us to uh some cool stories out there that we may not have uh, checked out on our own you say what you're saying miles is that science fiction is maybe preserving history well thanks guys so much for joining us tonight in our discussion on science fact and science fiction why don't we give you a chance to tell where we can find out a little bit more about you or maybe what you're involved in and uh why don't we start with you john why don't you go ahead and tell us where people can find you you can find me at twitter at uh at phrase that's at f-r-a-i-z-e or you can check out my blog which i haven't updated since uh the summer uh at phrase.com but uh more importantly go to think geek and uh buy some stuff uh there's a very good chance i probably bought it for you Ooh, very cool. And by the way, we will have some thinking news for you, uh, not in this show, but in upcoming shows, so be paying attention for that. Chris, why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me at uh, subspacecommunicate.com or subspacecoms.com. Uh, you know, come read our stuff. It's occasionally funny. Um, we got a new podcast, like I talked about at the opening of the show, that you can check out. Uh, we're also on Twitter, twitter.com slash subspacecoms. And Facebook, because, you know, we're all into the social thing. Right. Uh, Facebook.com slash subspacecoms. So. Yeah, the whole social network. Anyone, any, any of you guys see that movie? No, I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I, did, I, saw it, I saw it last night. It's pretty good, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. So. But, I heard great things about it. Yeah, I, 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 hey, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I typically don't go see that style of movie because it's not like science fiction, right? But, uh, but I, I loved it. It was really good, really well done. It's doing well at the box office from what yeah, I understand. Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. And uh, Darren, where can they find out more about you? Um, well, if you search Quark's Bartender on the internet, I'm sure some kind of crazy wackiness will show up. <laughs> other, other than that, you can uh, you can listen to me on TrekCast, the Star Trek podcast. You can find that at, at TrekCast.com or uh, you can subscribe by iTunes. And you can also follow me on Twitter as Quark's Bartender. So yeah. if you want to, if you want to, sometimes crazy look at Star Trek and uh, and uh, sometimes fun and sometimes uh, drunk, <laughs> uh, just follow me at Quark's Bartender or listen to TrekCast. We have a good time. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks, guys, so much for joining us on our discussion tonight, and uh, appreciate all you taking about an hour, hour and a half out of your schedule to kind of chat here.
because this is the absolute most people we've ever had on the podcast ever had. So I expect all hell to break loose. We'll see how long Skype can handle this. What's up, the technology? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're totally going to rip a hole in the space time continuum. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it, it is very true. It is very true. with us is John Frage. What's happening? Hey, you said it right. I know. It's a miracle, isn't it? Miles was coaching me before the show. You've been practicing. <laughs> I was. I can't say your last name worth a darn. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. If you want to find out more about the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, please visit scifidinerpodcast.com where you can find show news, pictures, videos, and many other things about the Sci-Fi Diner. You can also find Sci-Fi Diner where else, Miles? We have a Facebook fan page, and uh, we have very active discussion going on there between uh, Scott and myself and you, the listeners. So I encourage you, please uh, join our Facebook fan page, and let's talk some sci-fi. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sci-fi diner. You can find me on Twitter. That's uh, Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G. And I am uh, Son of Worf uh, at Twitter, and I also uh, on uh, Trekspace, uh, Son of Worf at Trekspace. 
And we want to hear from you. So please email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com or call our listener line at 1-888-508-4343 and let us know your thoughts on what you're watching, what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear from you. 